Wow, great. Thank you guys so much for your ministry of music. We really appreciate that. Uh, it's great to be with you guys again. It's been a while, so it's good to see you all again. And thank you so much uh, for once again making me and my family feel welcome. We really appreciate that a great, great deal. And uh, we're all very happy to be here. Uh, my daughter is excited in, in two ways because not just being back, she really loves it already, but uh, it's her birthday. So if you see Aubrey, she's the, the tall girl that's with us. She's 10 today, and we, we still find it hard to believe that we have a 10-year-old. Time flies just way too fast. But, uh, so just a great day all the way around. We have a beautiful day. God's given us awesome, awesome stuff today. Um, you know, I, I have observed something for a while now. Um, as I've looked around our culture and, and just the day in which we live, and I'm pretty sure you're going to see the same observation, you probably will agree, and that's that perhaps more than at any other time, there really are two words that describe where we are as a people, you know, as a culture, locally, nationally, globally, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and those words are unsure and unstable, unsure and unstable. I think that pretty much describes everything that we see right now, uh, everywhere we look, every news report, everybody that you talk to for any length of time at all, at some point, those two things are going to come up, that there's just this overwhelming feeling of, of being unsure, of being unsettled, of being unstable. And, and what that means is that People are discouraged, and they are depressed, and they are in despair, uh, perhaps now more than at any other time. That's why you have the, the drug use and sale of drugs and all the things associated with that at an all-time high at just about every corner of our, of our land, especially right here, it seems, uh, locally in the last five, ten years, it has just skyrocketed, and, and you can trace that back to all kinds of different reasons, but at the, at the root of it, it's because there is this instability that everyone feels, and they're, they're looking for some way of alleviating that, you know? They're looking for some way of filling that emptiness that being unsettled creates, and it results in, in endless despair, endless discouragement that's true of just about everywhere you go. It's true on the national level with the politics. You know, that's what's on everybody's mind right now. Uh, All the political ramifications of who might be elected and and who won't be. And and even that represents just an incredible amount of insecurity and instability. How are we going to fix that? Well, we've got to get the right person in office, and and then we're going to fix that feeling, that emptiness, that void. But it never works. It never fixes that. People try alcohol, people try drugs, people try sex, people try all kinds of different things to fill that that very real feeling of instability and of being unsure. And all of that represents this universal need, this desire, this hunger for consistency. Everybody wants consistency. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, young or old, rich or poor, you want consistency. We all do. It's something our our heart yearns for, to find something constant in in our lives, something constant in the universe. And every single person is looking for that, whether they admit it or not. You came in here today with your own unique sets of problems that I don't know about, and, and I have my problems that you don't know about, but at the core, we all want something to hold on to, something that's constant, something that's stable, and something that's consistent. 
But you know what? There's only one source of that. There's only one example of constancy. There's only one example and source of consistency that will never fail, never fade, never change. That one source, that one example is God. He is the only one who will always be the same. In any age, he is the same. At any point in your life when when everything crumbles and falls and fades away and everyone else turns their back on you and leaves you alone, leaves you in despair, he is the one person who you can always go to and find that he is the exact same as he's always been. He is the constant. And he alone is the constant. I want to share with you a fact. It's it's really a, a very simple principle on the surface But it's very profound in its implication and very powerful in its application. And that is this, that circumstances change, but they don't change God. Circumstances change, but they don't change God. Are you happy for that fact today? I am very glad for that fact. Because all around me, circumstances are are really always changing. And the same for you. There is never a time in life where we will not see circumstances and situations change. They're always fluid. You know, it's very much like West Virginia's weather. It's always subject to change, right? That's how circumstances are. Um, No matter how good or solid your circumstances might be, and some of you may have great circumstances. That's wonderful. Praise God for that. But no matter how good they may be right now, or how solid they may feel to you, or seem to you, they're subject to change. At any moment, your circumstances could completely change, just like that, at the blink of an eye. So it does not pay, it does not make sense to depend on circumstances for our hope, or for our purpose, or for our happiness. It doesn't work. It's just too fluid. We have to look to the source of constancy, which is only God. And uh, I want to share with you two different passages today that focus on two different people. And these people are removed from each other by 800 years of history. And they're in totally different parts of the world. And yet, they both experienced God in, in a very similar way. And what they saw personally was this fact, that circumstances will change all around us, but God never does. And they saw that in a very real and a very personal way. And because of that, they were changed forever. And the same can be true of you and I today. And so I want you to picture it like a bridge. And what better bridge to use uh, than our our great bridge here, the New River Gorge Bridge, best bridge in the world. And uh, I just want you to picture the, the one person, which is Isaiah, and the one passage that we'll look at, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, that's on the the one side of the bridge. And then all across the other side is Revelation 4, 1 through 8, and we're going to be looking at the Apostle John. And so they're connected by their experience with God, even though they're 800 years apart. And we're going to see just how identical their vision of God was and just how incredible that was for them and the perspective that that gave them. So if you have your copy of God's Word... Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 6. We'll be in verses 1 through 8. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And it's also there on the the screen for you. 
A little bit of history before we dive in here. Um, At this point in, in Israel's history, the kingdom has been separated. They've been torn in two. David and Solomon are long gone. The kingdom became two different separate nations, Israel and Judah. Israel uh, had Isaiah's ministry to, to look forward to, and Isaiah was the, the prophet that was um, chiefly responsible for, for Judah. And as he's writing this, and in this passage, chapter 6, something tragic has happened. Up to this point, Judah was in, enjoying a period of prosperity and blessing and peace and I mean, everything was just going as good as it could have for them. In fact, it was, it was just about like the reign of David and Solomon. It was like a new golden age in their history. They had all kinds of wealth coming in. They had peace with their enemies. Everything was stable. Everything was good. Prosperity, stability, security. I mean, it, life was good if you were in Judah at this point. And their king Uzziah had ushered in just a, a period of unparalleled prosperity and blessing. But then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere really, he became ill and he died. So here's King Uzziah on the throne of Judah. Everything's great under his reign. Everybody's happy. And then, all of a sudden, he's sick and then he's, he's gone. And after his death, all of that changed. All that prosperity was now threatened all the stability went out the window. Anarchy was starting. The, the peace between their, their neighboring uh, nations was, was eroding. All that had been up and high and good and great was now fading away and gone. So there was despair. There was discouragement. There was hopelessness. There was fear. What are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? What's going to happen to us? Sounds familiar probably, right? You know, you you look around and you see the same feelings everywhere. You talk to the people who, you know, have lost a job related to the mine mine industry crumbling either directly or or as a side effect of that. You have people wondering what's going to happen with our government. You have a whole set of personal circumstances, you know, that, that you have maybe or someone close to you has. There's always this, this feeling of, of emptiness and despair and discouragement everywhere you go. It's, it's, it's just at an all-time high. And so I think we can all relate to the feelings that the, the people of Judah had at this time when everything they were used to and everything they were hoping on and, and looking forward to being always true was now gone. What are we going to do? It's in this context that Isaiah writes. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that all of, of the stability that I was, was used to and familiar with was gone, in the year that all of the blessings that we were all enjoying were now threatened, in the year that all of the security that we were holding on to and easily had is now gone, in that year, in the year that a, a throne was vacant, suddenly Isaiah looks And he sees, wait, wait, there is a throne that's still occupied. The throne of of, of my people is empty, but, but there is a throne in heaven, a throne over all the earth, a throne over all the universe, and it is not empty. It's not vacant. It's occupied. And it's occupied by the Lord God Almighty. 
It says that the train of his robe, the, the king on the throne, the Lord God, the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and what that means is you have to kind of think back to the, the Middle Ages when all the monarchs, you know, had the big elaborate robes and, and they, they flowed behind them. And really, the, the longer your, your train, the more important you were. That's what it signified. Well, so Isaiah looks up and he sees this king and his train fills the entire temple where he's at. So this is a serious and very important person that he's seeing. Verse 2, we'll go on. It says, above him were seraphim. That's a, a very specific category of angels. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. I find it very significant that here's these, these angels, these mighty beings that are very holy in and of themselves. And yet they cover their face because they cannot bear to look at the holiness and glory and majesty of God. And think about this, church. If these angels who are holy, they are not sinful creatures like you and I. If these angels, these majestic beings, cannot look at God for his holiness, it's just too great for them. He's too important. He's too separate from them for them to gaze at directly. Then what does that say about our reaction to God, what it should be. I mean, if, if they can't even look at God because of his holiness, if, if their view of his holiness and his majesty and his splendor are so high that they, they don't even dare look at him, we better evaluate how we come before God because of how holy he is and how unholy we are. That one's for free. Um, it says that they, they're, they're flying and they're, they're covering their, their, their faces, their feet, and then they, they, they're doing something while that's going on. Here's what happens, verse 3. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And this, this repetition is holy, holy, holy. It could be a direct reference to the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Ascribing holiness to each member, or it could be the, the Jewish custom to emphasize something that was indisputable. If you said something two or three times, it meant this is undeniable, this is undisputable, this is absolute fact. Either way, they were letting Isaiah and everyone else know this is someone special. This is our God who is above all, beyond all. He's un, unattainable because of his holiness, his majesty, his splendor, his glory, and his goodness. And they say the whole earth is full of his glory. And remember the earth that Isaiah was living in, the earth that he was in when he sees this vision. His earth is not full of glory as far as he is concerned. His earth is just completely full of darkness, completely full of despair. It's been completely upheaved. And yet these angels are saying the whole earth. Yes, even your circumstances, Isaiah, even the earth that you're living in, even your day, even what you are dealing with right now, it's still full of the glory of the Lord. And my friends, the same is true for you and I today. Do not let the enemy deceive you into thinking that all of the sin that's out there in the world, all the misery, all the agony, all the despair, all the fear, that that has in any way changed God's glory from being able to be seen. Don't, let, don't be deceived that way. Because no matter how bleak things are, God's glory can still be seen. It can still be understood. It can still be embraced. It can still be grasped. He's not outdone or overcome 
by all that we tend to focus on. He is still in control. Verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Imagine that happening when we sing worship. I mean, what would we do with that? That's what Isaiah is seeing, that when God is praised and glorified in heaven, everything is, is affected by that. And as Isaiah is seeing all of this, he sees the king high and exalted, lifted up, and he, he sees these, these creatures, these angels, and all of their majesty, and they're, they're praising God and giving glory to him, and everything shaking and filling with smoke. He says probably what you and I would say. Verse 5, he says, Woe to me! You know what you and I would say is, Oh man. Oh boy. Whoa. I'm done. You know, I mean, something like that. He, he, he's recognizing he's in trouble. He's in trouble. Why did he say that? He, he goes on to say, uh, I am ruined. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. Why? Why, Isaiah? Why are you overcome with this feeling of being ruined? Why are you scared now? Why are you fearful? Look what he says. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, whenever we really see God for who He is and we understand who and what He is and we get a real glimpse of His glory and His majesty and His splendor, you know what will always, always happen if that's been a genuine experience? We will be overwhelmed with our own sinfulness. We will be overwhelmed with our own emptiness. We will recognize how much He is above and and totally other from what we are. Every time we genuinely encounter the living God, and we take our blinders off, and we allow ourselves to objectively see Him and understand Him, we will always be struck by our own need, by our own want that we have in our lives, all that we are lacking in. The the chasm will be incredibly great, as Isaiah experienced. But what is so good about God is he doesn't leave us there, you know? I mean, us feeling that and us recognizing that, our own sinfulness and our own wickedness and our own need for him and our own void in our life, that's all necessary, but he doesn't leave us there with that gaping wound. Look at what happens in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isn't that beautiful? See, right here we see a, a, a very vivid, very powerful picture of what Jesus Christ would accomplish. We see sacrifice. We see atonement, which we all need. We see grace. On full display. Here's God in his majesty and his holiness. And here's Isaiah. And he, he, he sees his own sinfulness. And he knows the people that he dwells in. And he's full of despair. And he's full of discouragement. And all this is happening. And he sees God and he says, oh, that's it for me. I'm done. But then grace steps in. And it says, no, 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 no. You're not done. You're just getting started. I'm going to take care of your need. I'm going to atone for what is lacking. I'm going to meet your need. Here, you're purified. Here, you're sanctified. Now, go serve me. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
And I love Isaiah's response. And I said, here am I. Send me. Church, that is always, always, always the response that should be in our heart and on our lips. When we see God in his glory, we see him in his goodness and his grandeur, and we compare that with the world we live in and our our town being what it is and people struggling the way they are and maybe you in your own life struggling the way you are. And yet when you see God, that he has not abandoned you, he has not abandoned our world, he is still on the throne ruling and reigning in every circumstance still glorious, still filling the earth with his glory. And we see all of that and we recognize all that we are compared to him and all that we're not. And yet we still receive his grace and his mercy and his purifying work. This should be our only response. Here am I. Please send me, use me, put me out into that world. Use me as a, as a light into that darkness. Use me as your instrument to bring truth and life and freedom and hope into other people's lives the way you've brought into mine. That should always be our response. Here am I. Send me. Circumstances change, but they don't change God. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad? Well, that's, that's Isaiah's experience. I want us to go ahead now. Like I said, there's 800 years that separate um, Isaiah and, and John. 800 years of history. Several different nations have arisen and fallen in that time. Several empires have come and gone. Things have changed in a great deal on, on earth in 800 years' time. Think about how much has changed uh, in, in 10 years, you know? Things are constantly changing around us. All the time. So there's all this change that's happened. I mean, Judah and Israel, they've fallen away over this course of of history. Greece has risen and, and also fallen. Persia. The Roman Empire has come. They've risen up. They became the world empire. The birth of Jesus occurred. The ministry of Jesus. The death of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. And now, here's John the last living original apostle, most likely. He has seen all of of his fellow disciples, most of them tortured and killed, martyred. Some maybe died of natural causes. He has seen the Roman Empire that once tolerated this, this new faith, Christianity, the way, as it was called, they once tolerated it, then you know, they even they began to be maybe a little bit sympathetic toward it, but then all that changed, and crushing opposition and persecution came by the hands of Nero and other emperors after him. John himself is exiled away from his people onto a mining colony, the island of Patmos. He's an older man. He's nearing the end of his life. When he's not in labor, doing labor, hard labor, mining and things, he's restricted to his house under uh, house arrest under guard, which is not as comfortable as maybe it sounds. House arrest, all that's not too bad. He was incredibly limited. That's John's experience that we find him in. Then Revelation 4, 1 through 8, we see this. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and and I will show you what must take place after this. 
These are the words of Jesus himself to John, who he had seen uh, in the first three chapters. Jesus reveals this incredible vision to John, the, the revelation. And all these things are happening, and, and he's seeing all these, these incredible sights, and he's hearing from Jesus about certain churches that he wants John to, to write to and, and challenge and convict. But then he sees this. Verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Does that sound familiar? A throne in heaven, someone sitting on it. Verse 3, And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. You'd need some serious sunglasses if you were looking at that. I mean, that's, that's some bright stuff right there. Verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. It's pretty weird, right? Pretty freaky. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. That should also sound familiar, right? What we, just, what we just read about. Six wings flying around. See, this is the same thing. These are also seraphims. They're just described in a different way. You know, we get a little bit more detail. Same creatures. Covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. See, there's constancy. There's consistency. What he was, he is, and what he is, he will be. He is never going to change. Incredibly comforting. Incredibly encouraging. And it's the same praise given. The same exact statement by the same creatures before the same throne. 800 years separating them. All kinds of things have changed. Circumstance after circumstance after circumstance has changed. What was is no longer true for John and the people here. All of that is, is, is completely in fluid motion. But in heaven, the scene there remains the same. God enthroned, God ruling, God reigning, God controlling and directing and organizing and working in and through all of our circumstances here that we experience. Good, bad, indifferent. Circumstances change, but they don't change God. You know, our, our experience in life, our circumstances are kind of like, I want to show you this, uh, this graphic here. Um, they're kind of like a, a wavelength, you know? I mean, like, does that not describe that wavy line? Does that not describe your circumstances? Our experiences are very much like that wavy line, right? They just go up and they down. I mean, sometimes you're up here, circumstances are great, life is good, right? Man, my, my pay is good, my job's good, it's stable, got a great family, everyone's good, everyone's healthy. Got a nice car, nice home. You know, that's up here. And then for a million different reasons, that could suddenly just crash. 
And if you've lived any time at all on earth and in life, you've experienced that. You've experienced the high and you've experienced the low. And anyone, any, I mean, if we took a, a poll really quick, we would find that that is the same experience of everyone in here today. That everybody that's walked through this door could say at some point in their life they've experienced that. And right now, today, you're experiencing that. We've got some people that if we ask them, they'd say, you know what, I can't complain at all. Things are great. I mean, I'm up here. We'd talk to the very next person, they'd say, man, I'm struggling. You have no idea how hard it is right now. You have no idea what it took for me to even get here and to be here. See, that's always true of the human experience. It's up, it's down. It's up, it's down. For one person, it's up. The next person, it's down. What, what, uh, for that one person that's up, in a, in a day, a week, a month, a year, they're down. You see what I mean? You with me? And whenever that happens, that up and that down, we're, we're tempted as people, even, even as Christians, to ask the question of God, where are you? Why are you doing this? Why did you let this happen to me? Where were you when I needed you? We've all been there. If you haven't been there, you will be. Where at some point your faith is going to be in crisis because of your circumstances. Because we as human beings are creatures so related to and so dictated by and so defined by circumstance that that's our natural default reaction. When circumstances change, we are just naturally prone to lose sight of what is true. We're prone to kind of step away from that faith that we've been walking in so easily. And we say, why God? Where are you, God? Why is this happening? But, but those things really can be a blessing in disguise because you know what that, that ha- forces you to do? It forces you to take an honest and objective look at your faith. And what is your faith resting on? And who is it resting on? What is your hope depending on? What is your happiness dependent on? Is it on circumstance and situation and everything just going perfectly the way I want it to? All my ducks lined up in a row? Or is it based truly and completely on God and His character and on the fact that He will never change? It's a question we all have to ask at some point. Isaiah had to ask the same question when everything around him started to crumble. All that prosperity, all that blessing, all that stability, gone. The good, godly king that he loved and supported, now gone. He had to have asked the same thing. God, why? Where are you? How could you do this? And then he sees, sees the throne. He sees God exalted, ruling and reigning. And he says, wow. <laughs> this is amazing. John looking at him, the last of the original disciples, the closest to Jesus from any of the other apostles, one who believed that Jesus would return probably in his lifetime, and he was looking for that. Now he's at the end of his life, and he's been stripped away of all that he knew and all that he had. He's forced to to work as slave labor under house arrest on on a remote island. I mean, he's been exiled. He had to have said, is this what you planned for me, Jesus? Is this what you had in mind? 
And he sees the church under the weight of persecution and under the weight of oppression. And he sees people leaving the faith left and right. And he had to say, is this it? Is this the full extent of your kingdom, Jesus? Is this how far the church will go? And then he sees the throne. He sees God high and exalted, ruling and reigning, controlling every circumstance, not taken off guard, not taken by surprise. And he says, wow. Okay. Okay, I get it. And Isaiah said the same thing. Okay, I get it. Circumstances may change, but God never does. And see, what they saw, what happened to them is they saw that although our experience and our circumstances does, you know, they do this all the time, God is that straight line. Through every circumstance, he remains the same. Through every age and time of man, he remains the same. Through everything that happens here on earth that is totally fluid and totally chaotic, he is never in chaos. There will never be a time in all of eternity where God says, oh, what do I do about this? I didn't see that coming. You know, that's never going to be what God says. Isaiah's circumstances didn't change. John's circumstances didn't change. Isaiah endured the rest of his ministry. He endured opposition and persecution, and he endured cruel uh, leaders and rulers around him. Judah had a lot of good kings, but they had some bad ones, and all their allies disappeared. They were alone. Uh, the, the chaos on earth continued. His ministry was not well received. John, his circumstances, they didn't just magically change. He didn't get you know, sent back to Jerusalem with the apologies of the Roman Empire. No. He stayed in that situation and he died. So their circumstances didn't change. But you know what did change? Their perspective. They had a perspective shift. They realized my circumstances may change. In fact, they're going to change. But I know my God never will. I know I can trust him. I can rely on him. I can depend on him. I can hope in him. Because he is always on the throne, ruling and reigning over the affairs of the world, over the affairs of people around me, and over my life. See, God is always a faithful and involved and perfect sovereign. Always. We can always depend on that and and trust in that, and that's where we can find our hope. That's how Isaiah and John were able to keep going, and the same can be true for us. The same perspective is offered to you and to me today. No matter what experience you've had in your life or what experience you are having right now, whether you've lost your job or you have it, whether your health is good or it's not, whether you have all of your loved ones around you or you've lost them, and trust me, I know how hard that is. I know what that can do to your faith. I know the questions that come from that. I had to ask the same question. But no, no, no matter what happens in and around you, no matter where your circumstances are, you can have the same perspective. You can lift your eyes and you can see the same God on the throne that Isaiah and John did. You can, you can realize the fact that they are, he is always the same, just like they did. And if you have that perspective, if you, if you gain that perspective, if you allow God to bring that perspective into your life, then here's what the result will be. It's the same result that Isaiah had, the same result John had. Here's the result. There's two, two major ways that this results in good things in our life if we have that perspective. First, that perspective will result in peace and hope. 
peace, and hope. That's what we all want. There is not a single person in life that will say, no, I'm good. I don't really want peace. I don't want any peace in my life or my heart. I'm good with the chaos. No one says that. No one says, no, I, I couldn't use any more hope. Thank you. I'm good. No, of course not. We all want and hunger after and desire after peace and hope in our lives and and around us. My friends, it's only possible through God. It's only found in God. He's the source of it. Peace and hope. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep all who trust in you in perfect peace. Why? Because they trust in you. That's what Isaiah 26.3 says. Romans 8.28, it's a very familiar passage to most, if not all of us. All things, it says, all things, not just the good things, but the bad things as we see them, you know, as we would call them bad, even the bad things, all things work together for the good of all those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a great promise? It's only found in God, no one else, nowhere else. The second result of having this perspective of seeing God as the great constant of of understanding that circumstances change, but they don't change God. The second result is worship and witness. Worship and witness. We saw that on display in in Isaiah 6, verses 3 and 8. We saw that in in the the scene of, of heaven as John saw it, that when they realized, when Isaiah saw who God was and all of his glory and the fact that he was still reigning and ruling and in control. He, he was overwhelmed with a heart of worship for this God, giving God glory, giving God praise and thanks. And the same happened in John's vision. But it didn't just end in worship because it is not enough just to worship God. When we are gripped by who he is and what he is and worship fills our heart, we need to use that as motivation and fuel to go beyond our own little bubble and our own little circle and give witness to this great God. That means once you you see him for who he is and you appreciate it and your perspective changes and it shifts and you say, yes, yes, thank you, God, that you do remain the same. I believe that. My circumstances are going to change. That's okay because you don't. You don't just sit there on that and you don't just worship God for that. You take that and you witness to that effect. And you say to a world full of despair and full of discouragement, full of darkness, a world void of hope, a world void of true happiness, you go and you say, hey, I've got what you need. I've got the answer that you're looking for, the answer you've been asking without a question, the question you've been asking without an answer. I've got the answer. It's not in drugs. It's not in alcohol. It's not in one person after the next in your bed. It's in God and God alone. He's the constant. You want consistency in your life? Let me tell you about my God. You want an example of someone who's always constant no matter what? Let me point you to God. So it results, this perspective, results in peace and hope and worship and witness. Do you believe that today? You know, and, and it's easy to say, oh yeah, of course I believe that. Of course. It's another thing when your circumstances fall out from your feet. That's when it gets hard. That's when it gets hard. We've all all got to accept the fact that circumstances around us will always change. They'll always be in motion. But God never changes. That's where our hope is found. That's where our purpose is found. It's where our life comes from. 
It's where joy, real joy, I mean the kind of joy that, that lasts no matter what, that's where that's found. Only in him. Would you bow, please, with me? Everybody bowing your heads, eyes closed. Just, just begin to allow God to, to speak to you here in the quiet. I wonder, every time I'm before people, doesn't matter the size, doesn't matter where I'm at, I wonder how many people truly have embraced the constancy of God. And it's easy to say, oh yeah, I believe that, I recognize that, but only you in your heart of hearts know, you know whether that's true or not. So I want to just give you the chance to be honest. God already knows, and you already know. I just want to give you the chance to act on this. Is there anyone here that would say, you know, I've, I've heard what you said, i heard this message, heard you talk about the constancy of God, the consistency of God, that he is always the same, he never changes. But maybe what is true of you today is that you've never acted on that personally. You've never committed your life to that God who never changes. Yeah, you know, you've gone to church, you've sung the songs, you've done the religious thing, but you've never started a real, vibrant, living relationship with that God through Jesus Christ. You're here today, and Jesus is not your king, the king of your life. He is not your savior. That doesn't have to remain true of when you leave this room, if you came in like that. And I wonder, is there anyone that would say that would be willing to say, honest enough to say, yes, that's me. I, I don't actually have Jesus as the Lord of my life, the Savior of my life, but I want him to be. I want him to be. I would just like to pray with you, pray for you, be available to talk to you if that's you. Is there anyone that would say, yes, that's me, you described me, anyone at all? No time like now because, again, circumstances change. You are not guaranteed another minute of breath. Please don't waste it. Anyone at all. It doesn't matter if you've been here for 20 years or the first time today. Okay? Then let me ask this of you, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You're in Christ. He is your Savior. He is your Lord. But because of various circumstances around you, maybe you've lost a job, maybe your job's in jeopardy, maybe you've had a loved one leave your life, whatever the reason is, maybe, just maybe, you're in that, that feeling of despair. You're feeling discouraged. You're not feeling hopeful. You're not feeling vibrant. You're not feeling joy in your walk with Christ or happiness. You're kind of just going through the motions, if you were honest. And you're finding it hard to remember that God is always the same because what it feels like to you is that he's abandoned you. If that's you, I would want to pray for you also today. And again, be available to talk with you. Maybe you need to come down here, uh, on kneel on these steps, and use this as your personal altar where you lay that down before God and you just kind of allow him to rekindle your heart. I don't know. But is there anyone that would say, yeah, you, you nailed it for me. You described me. Anyone like that at all that I could pray for? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to pray. And uh, then Matthew will come and lead us in a closing song. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the timelessness of it. 
Thank you for the relevance of it. It is always relevant. It is always powerful. It is always everything we need. It gives us the reminders of of who you are and what you are and what you've called us to. It shows us what is true and what is not. It renews our, our faith and our joy. It provides us the perspective that is needed. Thank you, God, for your word. And thank you for the fact that you never change. You are the one constant in all of life and all of the universe. And I thank you that though every single circumstance may change around us, you never will. Thank you for that. Please root us in that, anchor us into that truth, and and let us be full of joyful worship to you because of that. And then let us take that and go out and, and give witness and testimony to the fact of who and what you are in a world that has never needed it more. Thank you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.